and welcome to the very first Britwatch podcast uh, featuring me, Roz Satar, and me, Phil James. And we're going to run you through stuff that we think that is important in the tennis world. How are you, Roz? What have you been up to? Me, working. Working like a demon on uh, LiveTennis.com uh, and basically just got back from Croatia. Uh, going there was great, coming back. Maybe not so much. <laughs> uh, there's nothing quite like getting a cab or filing at like gone midnight, getting two hours of sleep, getting to the airport at 4.30 and seeing your flight cancelled with the next flight at 4.30 with a bunch of people from the Rovine Fest- Festival all like skeggy and smelly sat around the airport. It's like, yeah, this is going to be a great week. <laughs> well, you're probably not getting a lot of sympathy from the rest of us who have to stay and work while you were gallivanting around in Croatia shaking hands with Andy Murray. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna I'm ever gonna comment on any of your Facebook photos again, especially that include Andy Murray. Oh, you, God, be you fair, com- it was the back of my head. But all you right? but you comment on it once, and then you just get notifications the next three weeks for everyone else that's commenting on it. It's just it's what just not worth it. What can I say? It. I've got friends who are genuinely proud of your little mate for sitting there, and as I said, it's the back of my head, you know, which I think was actually looking particularly wow. good that day. They did well to get your best angle. I thought so. Anything non-tennis related you've been up to? Uh, yeah, IT boring stuff that I have to do for a living um, and just generally reminding myself that I've actually got rooms in the house um, after doing the US Open where I spent most of my time either watching Sky or live streams or trying to catch some sleep. Enough of your bragging. Yeah. <laughs> um, I jumped out of a plane the other week and incidentally... And you survived actually I and survived. I do need to sponsor you. No, don't worry about it. On my way here incidentally to the, to the recording studios, a.k.a. Rosington Mansion's front room. I went past St Matthias Church, which is where, which was the basis of my first ever published journal story. And sorry, who was the editor for that piece? Oh, you were. That's right. You, you destroyed it. I didn't destroy <laughs> it. I delegated it to two other people who kindly destroyed it for you. It's best that we move on before we fall out before this even starts. Between <laughs> yeah. between this argument and all the sexual tension, we might not even ever get to the podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Um, Phil's going to kick off with a bit of a uh, roundup, and then we're just going to witter for as long as we can manage. Okay, so here goes with a roundup of the men's tennis world. September started with the US Open, which Rafa Nadal won for his second Grand Slam of the year. He beat Novak Djokovic in the final over four sets. Rafa had only dropped one set all tournament before the final. Djokovic had had a slightly tougher ride. He won a five-set epic semi against Stan Wawrinka. Stan was a man on a mission. He'd already beaten Tommy Burditch in four sets before dispatching Scotland's own Andy Murray in straight sets. Luckily, after the US Open, Andy recovered to play for Team GB in the crucial Davis Cup World Group playoff tie against Croatia. He won his two single rubbers as well as a doubles rubber playing with Colin Fleming. Also part of the Davis Cup team was Dan Evans, who'd just come off an amazing American hardcore swing of form. He'd won his, as well as doing reaching the final of two challenges, he won his first ever Grand Slam match at the US Open. He qualified for the US Open by coming through three rounds of qualifying before beating 11th seed Kaiden Shakuri and then beating Bernard Tomic. Don't worry, fans, he didn't then get beaten up by Bernard Tomic's dad. <laughs> Evans eventually fell to Tomo Redredo, who then beat Roger Federer in the next round. In even better news, um, so back to the Davis Cup. Um, in even better news, GB drew USA away in the next round. Mounts may sound tough, but certainly a lot better than Spain or Serbia away. Andy Murray says he will play Davis Cup next year, despite undergoing minor back surgery this week, which may spell the end of his season. 
and see him miss the World Tour Finals in London, which is a shame because he's currently undefeated on British soil this year. In the shadow of the Davis Cup, where most of Britain's top male tennis players were playing, Dom Inglot reached the ATP final of doubles final at St. Petersburg Open, while the Skupski brothers won their fourth challenger title of the year. And in women's tennis? In women's tennis, life pretty much ticks on as normal. Well, although um, it's a different Williams that seems to be uh, dominating um, poor old Victoria Azarenka. Venus Williams pulled off quite the upset uh, early this morning, I believe. The days all run into each other after a while. Um, Victoria Azarenka really didn't look that great, actually. She looked, she, for a start, she was wearing this awfully shapeless outfit that God knows who she annoyed at Nike to, to get put into like what looked like a pillowcase. But um, she looked really listless. She looked really tired. It actually looked like she was ill. She hardly made a sound. And I'm one of the people that hates um, all this kerfuffle over women tennis players making noise. To be honest with you, the men grunt just as loudly. If didn't, oh, come didn't, on. Oh, come on. Didn't Andy have a real snit at somebody like last year who was like grunting really... You know, and as for Ferrer, his grunt like lasts until like the match is gone. But, um, but you know, Vicar wasn't very... Um, she was pretty silent. She looked really listless. She looked actually like she was playing with a fever. Um, I mean, I know it's probably quite hot out in Tokyo, but she really didn't look good. Uh, on the British side, Laura came off a not bad run, given her given the issues with her wrists um, at Toronto that really affected her preparation for the US Open. And, and in spite of that, actually, to be honest with you, a run to the third round with no preparation after Toronto wasn't bad. It was better than certainly I expected after watching her first round match. But she had a very early exit in Tokyo, which is a bit disappointing. Uh, Heather came through one round of qualifying, I think, and then went out in the second round. So um, the only Brit that's doing uh, anything of note at the moment is uh, little Joe Conta, who actually is doing quite well. And I think before long... Joe could actually find herself as a British number two, which would be, I think, well deserved for her efforts this year. Does that say more about Conto or more about Heather Watson? Well, let's be let's let's not be too unfair on Heather. She she um she struggled a lot and didn't really know why, and then discovered that she was actually suffering from the after mm. after effects. So she'd actually had glandular fever and suffered all the way through that. Um, and it was only afterwards when she had some bloods done that they actually said, "Oh well, actually, you're now getting over glandular fever." So she played, you know. She wondered why she was struggling so much. Um, now we know, and you know, there's a lot of conditioning. She's got, she's, she's getting used to a new coach. Um, so you know, I, I don't think it'll be long before she does get herself back. But I think it's probably going to be unlikely that she's going to do anything of note this year. I think she's, she's highly unlikely to um, match her title-winning form. So well, that's the thing. She's got coming up soon her title from last year, isn't she? Yeah. So I think, I, th I think. A shed loads of points are going to drop, and like I mean, she said it at Wimbledon. You know, it's really hard for her to to watch. I mean, the pep that she's put into her game is actually very good. You know, she is banging down more aces because she's always been quite a defensive player. You know, she's she's small. She's got small, you know, low low central gravity, really good mover, good at the net, good at doubles, good all court game, but very good defensively. So it's good to see her attacking more. Is she hitting more doubles? Is she hitting more aces than Laura Robson's hitting doubles assaults? <laughs> it's like kind of evened out a little bit. Um, I mean, does, Laura, that, does anyone hit anything more than Laura Robson? Has done oh, so you, let's be fair. I mean, before she got rid of Zelko Cryan, she was hitting. I think she got some ridiculous thing like a hundred odd double faults in like a, a matter of months. 
Um, since she's been with Miles, that number has come down. I think the trade-off though is that she's lost a bit of a consistency off both wings. She needs to, she needs to put it all together. You know, I mean, she's a, she's a nice kid. She she's quite guarded in press, and you know, as my mother used to say when I was that age, you're a teenager and you're good at it. You know, next year she won't be a teenager anymore. She's really going to have to deal with being a grown-up. A little, a little bit better, but I, th I think she can do it. You know, I really do think that she's got it in her to be a, at least a top fifteen player. She just needs that consistency. She's, yeah. she's fearless. She's absolutely fearless. She can batter off either side um, quite brilliantly. And once she gets into the point, if she, if she, if her serves firing well, you know, she, she is, she is quite dominant. And she, she has improved. I mean, if I look at her from her first round match at Roland Garros and at Eastbourne to, to now. She she keeps her emotions in check a lot more. She doesn't show as much anymore. You know, I think it's all part of growing up. You know, if you look at Andy when he was that age, <laughs> he, you know, he wasn't any different. He wasn't much to look at. No, I uh, know. I'll tell you what, actually, watching him against Borna Chorich, Chorich was a right little chunky monkey. <laughs> um, and I remember Andy at that age, and he was all sort of legs, arms and paws. I mean, it was just, it, he was just so gangly. It was it was just like a string bean with a racket. So you know, Borna Chorich was 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 really quite a well developed little kid com in compare comparison to Murray. So you said there how guarded she is in presses and things. I mean, she's um, she hasn't always seemed that way, especially when she's, for example, when she played doubles with Andy Murray um, at the Olympics. She's come across as a lot more easygoing when she's kind of been spoken to about um, away from her game more. The uh, you know when she was at Wimbledon and she was asking about. Is it One Direction or some oh, other yeah. band that I should know about? <laughs> no, um, you really shouldn't know about and it. <laughs> she, and she obviously has a lot of fun on the tour. If, if she's got a lot of friends, um, if no one, if anyone hasn't yet seen the Laura Robson, <laughs> Eugenie Bouchard, Gangnam Style video, um, I urge you to go on YouTube that immediately. Not just because it's two young, amazingly beautiful girls okay, dancing you're, you're around. It's actually um, quite sad it, now. It's actually pretty hilarious. Um, so go and watch that. Um, I can understand why she's so guarded though, because to be to be honest with you, I think the British press prior to Andy winning was so. Well, how long has it taken Andy to become unguarded? Yeah. All those years after he made a joke about the England football. I team. know, and and the thing is, as as I said, you know, my, my, my parents had used to have this saying, you know, you're a teenager and you and you're good at it. You know, a lot of people expect, you know. People expect her to be like this amazingly articulate, well thought out person, and I'm, I mean, I, I defy anybody to tell me that at the age of nineteen, they had that much of a serious head on them. Because I know for, I know for a fact, when I was her age, I was probably a walking nightmare. I think, I think, uh, I think, and Roz, that's a long time ago. Was at that age is a is a conversation for a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, so okay, so away from from the slight downers of Heather and Laura, then you mentioned. Joe Conter there. Um, a lot of people might not even know who Joe Conter is, so give us a little bit of background on her. Uh, you're going to make me... You're punishing me for not having prepped, aren't you? <laughs> um, Joe is... Um, she's in her 20s, like 22. She's the British number three. She has been making quiet progress through the... Um, through, the uh, through, through the futures at the beginning of the year, or the ITF, 
um, matches. And now she's beginning to get her way through um, some of the tour events. And really, I hope that she actually sticks to the tour events now and doesn't go back to the ITF stuff because it's going to bump up her her, her uh, ranking beautifully. Well, she had to come to qualifying last week, didn't she? But yeah. that was for a, uh, a premier, so an international event. This week, she's gone straight into yeah. a 125k event and she's made... Uh, last week was her first ever quarterfinal, I think. Yep, and this was. week she's gone straight through to a quarterfinal again, although the ride has been a bit easier than it was last week. But, I mean, she has a tie against um, someone in the next round who's still ranked 50 places above her or so. But if she wins that, she'll be in a, she'll be in a semi-final. And, I mean, I don't see any reason why she should go back down to the next level, should she really, if she no. can keep qualifying for these for these kind of tournaments. I mean, do you think her more than the others have benefited from, from Judy Murray's involvement? Definitely. In, um, in the game well a, a couple of things I think th- th- there's no doubt there's camaraderie between um, between the men and the women's um, uh, Igonji B sides they, they're very you know it's it's a completely different environment they're they're there for a team there's often a you know wanting to build a team spirit you know what leon smith has done with the team is is to have almost like this kind of camp like environment and it really suits them all they 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 really flourished under under that and with with judy murray what they what you know they they do everything as a team they dress identically at the team dinners and they dress well i mean you know it's it's, it's hilarious to see the pictures no it's hilarious to see the pictures so you'll you'll see what these countries put everybody out in to be fair, um, Judy, and some, it's of Judy, some of Judy's mummies are m- tweets are rather pimp-like. Um, <laughs> I I can't comment. We we talk about wine and tarts, so um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean those Fed Cup those Fed Cup trips are brilliant. Um, I was just looking up though. Laura Robson, English but born Australia. Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, in fairness, she Joe, moved out here when she was like three. Joe Conter, born Australia. Heather Watson, born Guernsey. Guernsey. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you can draw a parallel between Australia and Guernsey. Oh, well, no. Really? They're, okay. They're little islands Let's in see, the middle Gold of... Let's see, Gold Coast, some sandy beach with pebbles and a pillbox where the Germans invade. Okay. Which one's which? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I think she's, you know, if she if she gets through this year um, and gets herself uh, a little further up the rankings, I don't see any reason why she shouldn't actually just focus on all the um, WTA events and, and not drop down to the ITF. So I don't think she needs to anymore. And I think I think she's at the stage where, you know, she she's actually doing very well. And, and I think because everybody focuses on Heather and on Laura, she flies under the radar mm. quite, you know, most people are like, oh, Heather and Laura and who now? So I think she flies under the radar a lot. And um, I, I, for one, will, would like to keep a, a, a watchful eye on her. So money where the mouth is. End, mm-hmm. end of end of season predictions for the rankings for Oof. for Joanna, Laura, and Heather. Gosh, um, Laura's just outside the top thirty at the moment. And think she will, she will finish. Well, the hard court, right? The, the the Asian hard courts, I think, actually suit her game. I think I think Tokyo was Tokyo was a tough field, and I think she was unlucky. She, you know, Marita is one of those players. I mean, they've already they beat each other twice this yeah, one one apiece this year. They're not that far away in the rankings, so um, you know, it always drives me crackers when people are like, oh, she should have beat her because she was like twenty places below her. You know, that kind of thing. You know, in the in the women's game. No, not really. That doesn't really mean a whole heap. 
So um, I uh, would I, like I, to I hear see... you, but this is all filibustering. So right, Laura, I think, ranking. I think Laura um, will probably stay around the top 40. Top 40? Yep. Joanna? Where's Joanna now? About 120. Okay, so I, I think that she would finish outside the top 100, but very close to the top 100. So she'll, she'll be just outside. Excellent. And then Heather? Yeah, Heather's down to, what, 70-odd? Lower than that. I think almost out. I think she'll probably drop outside the top 90 I'd, this I'd, week. I'd say, unless she unless she strings together a few wins, I think she'll probably just just diddle outside um, towards the bottom end of the 100 or just outside the top 100. But I, I, I also expect that if she once she gets once she gets herself over this and once she gets herself um, a decent winter behind her, I think she'll probably be able to string together because there's no doubt in my mind that she wants to play more aggressively. It's just it takes a while to get to there. Yeah, excellent. And we we all want to we all want to see we all want to see Heather back sooner rather than later. Okay, so so the big news of this week. I mean, we did the we did the roundups chronologically but realistically the biggest news this week Andy Murray's back operation um end of his end of his season end of his year yeah I mean I was it was interesting because I asked him the question in Croatia um thinking that I was going to get a standard answer of well you know obviously I've just qualified because he just qualified by the time I flew out there so I was I was expecting a, I've just qualified I've got the masters I've got the Shanghai masters yada 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 and he didn't look me in the eye he looked away and I actually thought oh is that because this is my first time I've ever asked you a question and you don't know who I am or or what. So when the announcement was made, I thought, well, that explains a lot. Um, and it also explains to me now why he wanted, why he was so hell-bent on playing so much because he knew that he yeah. wasn't going to play again. Because I couldn't, none of us could understand it, to be honest with you, in Croatia. None of us could understand why he was hell-bent why on he was doing the doubles. doubles because there is absolutely no reason to think that Johnny and Colin wouldn't have won in three or four sets. You know, they, they would be perfectly capable of winning in three or four cents. It just didn't make any sense to us at yeah. the time. And we were all scratching our heads thinking, why? Just why? So that that, that now makes perfect sense. Um, personally, as a fan now and not as a journo, I don't want him to come back for the World Tour Finals, even though I'm going to be there, because I think he needs to give himself the best possible chance of 2014. But I do, uh, I do appreciate that there are a lot of people that will have already bought their tickets on, you know, gar- pretty much guaranteed that they'd see him. You know, the, 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 the general discussion of, oh, well, shall I get a day and a night and a day and a night? Or shall I get a day on one day and a night on the other and hope that he's in one of those? You know, he's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a real disappointment for a lot of people that it was, for them it would be their last chance to see him on home soil. Not everybody can swan around the world to go and watch him. So it's a real shame, but I think it's a brave decision on his part mm. um, because uh, you know it's if you're going to take that time out, now's the time to do it before the first slam of the year. Well, I mean, he it was it was terrible news when he had to pull out the Italian Open this year, and then he missed Roland Garros. Mm. And when you sat down and thought about it, actually, his chances of winning Roland Garros are slim to none. If we're honest with ourselves. His chances of winning a major on clay, any tournament on clay, which has got Djokovic well, he's made it to the semi-finals though before forever. now. Yeah, not by beating any one of those top four. Okay. And actually what happened is he then came back and he won Queens and he won Wimbledon. Most people would take Andy Murray missing Roland Garros so he can win Queens and Wimbledon any day of the week. So of the same line, yeah. I mean, we, we want to see him fit. Next year you've got the warm-ups, you've got Australian Open, you've then got this Davis Cup tie against, uh, mm. against America. We'll move seamlessly into that. Um, into that, um, we got date. We it's America. It's away. 
Um, but realistically, could could we have got a better draw than that? Apart from maybe the eight seeds, the almighty tennis nation of Kazakhstan. <laughs> no, we couldn't have we couldn't have got that. Although I am mightily relieved that it wasn't Kazakhstan because if if Croatia was a trauma to get back from, I can't even begin to imagine what first, first world problems was. First world problems. Honestly, honestly, I I was so over flights by the time I got back. Um, I don't think we. Could, I think. Everybody breathed, well, everybody that I know that was on Twitter breathed a huge sigh of relief when it went, when Spain went to Germany. And we were like, oh, thank God, it's not Spain. And then it was like, oh, yeah, right, so who do we get now? Well, um, I mean, I mean, just to run over, we got, so the final is being com- contested later this year between Czech Republic and Serbia. So Czech Republic have Tommy Burdich and Tom and... Uh, Tommy, you're on and, first name terms with him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, cool. and Radek Stepanek. Um, is that got, Rad to his mates? <laughs> You got Serbia with Tipsevic and um, and uh, oh that guy that number one oh Novak Djokovic um, and then a really good doubles player in Nedjad Zimanic. You got Spain with with Ferrer and Nat Rafa. Um, even Argentina, France, especially especially I mean if you get them away, then they're going to choose all of those nations apart from maybe Czech Republic are going to choose a clay court. Mm-hmm. Um, and I oh know we beat Croatia on clay, but I mean Croatia were down to Ivan Dodig. They were missing um, the soon-to-be banned Marian Cilic. Well, he has been banned, hasn't he? Well, yeah, but he wasn't banned. He hadn't quite been banned at that point, had he? When the yeah. tie was being played, and I think they were missing their second-ranked player as well. Um, well, Kar- so... Karlovic had a big falling out with them. Yeah. So he won't play anymore because um, they were somewhat. Per, uh, perturbed when he decided to pull out the Olympics via a text. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder whether it was like kind of it's not you, it's me kind of text. But hmm. um, but yeah, I mean. But, but the point being is, if if GB get an away tie on clay against a nation like any one of those we've just mentioned, I mean, the chance if for GB to win a tie realistically against one of those teams, they need Andy Murray to win both his singles rubbers and, and then Dan Evans to pull out a singles yeah. or you win a doubles. On a, on a hard court, you'd back Andy Murray against maybe, with the exception of Burdich, Djokovic, Nadal. He should be anybody else yeah. on a hard court out of those teams. Um, on a clay court, you can't necessarily guarantee that. Whereas, who are the the USA in their last tie? They they fielded the Bryan brothers, who are the best doubles team in the world. All right, but our doubles guys have given them a run for their money once or twice. Jamie Murray and John Pierce, the Aussie, even even beat, beat them, them yeah. this year. Um, whereas their their singles players are going to be John Isner and Sam Query. But it's, it's interesting you say that because um, after after the draw came out, there is a lot of murmuring on Twitter, especially amongst the American writers, um, that they might go for Clay. Isner's not actually bad on Clay. Oh. He's he's one of the Americans that doesn't think that Clay is one of those things that needs to be moulded into an <laughs> ashtray to be given to a, a relative. You know, he's not actually bad. The trouble with Isner is, and and we noticed this during the U.S. Open series, is that he performs really well on home soil. He's just a complete nightmare when as soon as you've got to get on a flight, even to the point where the com- commentators were like, "Do you think it's because he's so tall and it just like affects him?" But um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me come November if they did actually announce that they were going to do some kind of indoor clay tournament. But then. Indoor clay is a very different environment to say something like yeah. they played in Umag. I mean, you know, on one of the days 
it was it was sunny and bright, but there was a wind whipping up galore. How, you mu- know? how much of that would be such a, a negative tactic from the US, though? I mean, it's not... It would it's show not, that they were scared. Exactly. It's not their favourite surface. They're the home nation. They're the seed nation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take what you mean. They, they beat Switzerland, didn't they, on clay a couple of years yeah. ago with Roger Federer in the Swiss team. So I see where you're coming from, but... It'd be a it'd be a, it'd be a negative equity play. It'd yeah. be a, a oh, negative definitely. tactic play, and also God knows what's the biggest clay tournament stadium in America where you'd play Charleston, that. Charleston maybe that green that green that nasty green nonsense that they play the women's um, tour events on. I guess I guess the argument is is you've got Query and Isner, two of the biggest servers in the game, especially Isner. That weapon is going to work its best on hard court. However, they're playing against Annie Murray, who's one of the best, best returners, returners in the yeah. game. So. If if he's going to return their serves that well anyway, is it worth playing on hardcore? Um, any idea when they have to make the decision? On I think it? it's going to be November is when they're going to announce it. Um, I think it's going to be announced during the World Tour Finals, but I think Andy's taken the sting out of the whole announcement by deciding that um, his back needs an operation. So that's kind of... Oh, he's such a drama queen, Andy. I know, I know. I know. Spotlight. I know. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, but, you know... Um, I think it's a winnable tie if Dan Evans continues his form. I feel a little sorry for Wardy because up until now he'd been like kind of um, the real grafter of the team. Um, we all knew that Evans had the um, the talent, um, but it just needed that application. And now, you know, I think he's he's absolutely loving what's ha- what's happening. So, um, well, yeah, anyone who watched the uh, the coverage of the US Open would have seen quite a lot about Dan Evans and his. Um, I mean. <laughs> They made a lot of his past, didn't they? His past, his reputation, his work ethic. Um, Annabelle Croft didn't seem to de- couldn't seem to decide whether or not she was pleased that he'd stopped his partying lifestyle, or he wanted she wanted to go out partying with him. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's a big sign as well that we looked at when he won that tie against Russia in the Davis Cup earlier this year. If you look at, at Dad Evans's ranking breakdown, it was almost exclusively from futures within the G within yep. within the UK shores. Yep. I think. He'd gone once to a future in Sweden, which I, I believe he won. Um, and then he just didn't even seem to... It wasn't... It was a work ethic. It was the... I mean, he said of his own of his own volition that he would go out drinking and get, you know, things that he said, in his words, a professional tennis player shouldn't do. And now he's not doing those things. Um, and also he's, you know, he's gone to... He's gone to North America and he's he's in the form of his... He's in the form of his life. And he's he won the two challenger finals. Could have won either one of them. Um... And and then the U.S. Open, and I don't think he may. It shouldn't be underestimated what an infl- effect the other members of Team GB have had on well, him. Well, and it's not it's not just that though. I mean, I think um, ironically, going to going to the Davis Cup in Coventry was the first time I'd actually gone to any any event as an accredited journalist, and and actually asking Dan Evans a question was my first ever question in oh, press. Wow. And um, I, I tagged on the back, I shamelessly tagged on the back of Neil Harmon um, <laughs> because I was quite, it's all very goatee voice and very kind of, um, you know, very kind of nervous. But one of the things, you know, one of the questions that, that Neil asked him was, you know, you come out and you do this time and time again for, for GB and then, you know, and then it just doesn't translate. And he, he actually said, I think the quote there was, you know, well, I'm obviously not a very good, um, you know, good at my job. 
so I came on the back of that is like you know so is this going to be the difference to kick on and Leon Smith was was with him for for one of the interviews and he was like you know what would in fact he was in for he, he Leon Smith came in with when James Ward lost his five setter and we asked him the question you know look look at the two you've got James who's actually so deflated and you've got Evans who's almost defiant you know and he was saying you know we're, we're doing our best we're throwing up these futures don't underestimate it's not it's not just dan leon smith has put such a lot of time into him leon yeah. smith was out there with him at his side for pretty much every single match at the u.s open and i think it's really made a difference and it, it was interesting watching leon impress at, at croatia because there is a lot of people that travel with the lta at something like this and i think I get, I get the feeling that they've come in for a lot of stick in the past, or when Leon took over, they've come in for a lot of stick in the past at, at the entourage that goes out. And at the end of it, he sort of said, you know, I hope that people take a look and see that actually it's it's got results, and and it really has. And for me, Leon Smith has gone over and above that because he's now pretty much sort of hand coaching Dan Evans. I'm sure I'm sure he isn't. I'm pretty sure that um, Rosetsky has a hand in there as well, but. You know the fact that he's got that support and he sees the kind of attention that you get. Um, and Annabelle Croft did actually raise an interesting point. Um, no, surely not. Oh, sure, she's nice. Um, Annabelle Croft did actually raise an interesting point that um, you know in that week when he got to the third round, he suddenly got landed with a new agent and they were like kind of lining stuff up for him. And she was like, you know, I really hope that he doesn't get distracted by this kind of stuff because you know that there's a there's there's another side to this kind of fame that comes with it which is all the media obligations that you have to do and the media goodies that come with it so you know he's got he's got a, a lot of time to now try and get his head around what it means to be where he is um as i said he's always had the talent and he's always been the kind of player that you know he's now becoming the kind of player that we all thought he would be well it's just interesting that in this guy had his funding from the LTA withdrawn twice was it mm -hmm, I think so um, and they, they've had that they've used that tactic before um, um, Alex Bogdanovich being yeah. one of the more famous occasions but what seems to be happening now is that the the influence of Leon Smith and also I don't think it's you can underestimate Andy Murray's involvement in Dan Evans here I mean I mean I remember following Andy Murray on Twitter some a while a long time ago and he was he was almost inactive on Twitter and he's become I think part of Andy Murray's new happier public persona is him being on Twitter, things like Twitter a lot more, but also his messages of belief um, yeah. and encouragement to Dan Evans, to his brother Jamie, to the other guys. Um, I mean, Dan Evans even said that he spent a long time talking to Andy Murray about tactics mm. before his matches with Kaini Shikuri. I mean, obviously... Andy was playing... Well, he wasn't playing the first round of the US Open because he didn't get to play the first round of the US Open until Thursday or something, did he? But, you know, Andy had his own matches to prepare for. Last week, I think it was. Yeah. Um, um, and he, yeah, he was giving Dan Evans... Um, he was giving Dan Evans um, tactical advice. And they said that um, on the morning of his match, I think, with with Tommy... With um, Bernard Tomic, was it? That um, Colin Fleming drew the short straw, to, as it were, and he had to get up and get the first morning bus... And go and practice with Dan Evans before Dan's match, before then practicing himself before his match. And you never, you never, you never saw a Dan Evans match without one of those guys sitting yes. on the sideline. Now, if you if you've looked up to those guys, and Dan Evans admits he's looked up to Andy Murray for however many years, and Colin Fleming, and 
you are then thinking not only about fulfilling your potential but letting those guys down um that's yeah. got to play a that's got to play a big part as well yeah i mean I, I, let's come back to something you know to, to leon smith and you know one of one of the things that he's he's done as and if we if we sort of step away from dan and look at you know somebody like kyle Edmund coming up through the lines now i mean kyle is an amazingly articulate very grounded young man i mean he'd done a, an amazing run at eastbourne and um, when he came in, when he came into press, he was you know he he knew how to sort of handle the press. He knew how to handle the pressure because everybody was just going crazy over a, a Brit that was like advancing through the rounds. Um, and he was out there, albeit very briefly, for for a spell, and then got into a challenger. So off he went. Um, and you know, Leon Smith was like, "You can't tell me that having those coaches and those kids around Andy for a week isn't going to rub off rub off on them, and that they're not." I hope going there's to... no rubbing up. Yeah, well, I don't think so. That's I... not how Andy got his bad back. Yeah, because that would be terribly unfortunate. Um, and but... inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you know, I think I think the way that the teams, both teams actually, because you know, you've seen a great um, fostered team spirit with the, with the women's side as well. I think I think it's really showing. I mean, we we have you know a, a, as admittedly as many problems as as we've got with um with with Heather sort of slipping down the the rankings. We there is strength and depth in the women's side. Um, and there are there you know there 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 is a pool of players. There's probably less so on the men's side, but you know that's not. It'll be interesting to see what the Andy Murray effect will be come next year. Um, I mean, I've I, you know I rocked up to tennis lessons where lots of kids are sort of like practicing and they just want to be like. Andy, <laughs> I mean, I must admit, I want to do that kind of rotatey back backhand, double-handed backhand thing because my coach has a go at me for playing a single-handed backhand. Um, all I do is like hop around and look like a, a demented frog with a tennis racket, which isn't good. When I when I play, I still want to be like Tim Henman. Really? Yeah, that's why I always. So lose. what's that? Just losing. That's why I always lose. Yeah. Come to the net and then lose. Cool. Um, okay, so US Open was a while ago now, but let's do it. Do a quick fire look back at some of the takeaways from that. So. I'll throw some of these out there. Um, Roger Federer. Um, I mean, he's been written off so many times, but he lost to Tommy Robredo this time. Are we nearing the end of the Federer era or not? Quick fire. I think he's probably got some stuff left in him. I don't know that he's got another slam left in him, though. No now. more slam wins for Roger. Not if Rafa's come back like this, no. Well, yeah, he could just wait until Rafa's injured again, I suppose. Mm. Okay. Um so Roger Federer's countryman, still still ranked above, above him, but maybe not for long. Stan Wawrinka, real deal. Yeah, seriously, where the hell did that come from? I mean, when it when he when he pulled off when he pulled off that win against Andy, okay, fair enough. You know, he was playing out of his skin, and and Murray hadn't looked really happy since the second round. But when he took the first set off Djokovic, seriously, my jaw was bouncing off the floor. It was just like, what what happened to you? Can he? Yeah, I mean the problem is he's got to keep that up, hasn't he? He's, I mean, the the tennis he played to beat Andy and Burdic, and then to almost beat Djokovic was was almost perfect stuff. It's the kind of stuff you saw Lucas Russell play for one match to beat Rafa Nadal. Can I mean I know it would have been tough. Wawrinka would have had to have played Burdic, uh, Murray, Djokovic, and Nadal to win a tournament. I mean that's a tough draw, but can he? Can he string those results together? He, he's got a sense of belief in him now that I think he didn't have for a long time, and I I think what if he if he does snatch the um, Swiss number one ranking, suddenly I think you'll see him really really come into his own. Um, he's not quite a journeyman type player, 
but he's been around for long enough that you think, oh, you know, well, you kind of got there. He's, he's a bit Gasquet-like in his <laughs> in his um in his presence. But I think if he gets Good the Swiss, uh, if he gets the Swiss number one position. I think you'll actually see him. And, and good on him, actually. I think um, I think for too long, he's always been the, oh, there's Roger, oh, and then there's this other guy. Um, and I think now it's his time to shine. And I think he's really... And, and also with a new coach as well, uh, a calmer coach that's helped his demeanour as well. I think I think it's really made... You know, it's really coming good for him. Okay, so we saw a couple of older guys at the US Open. Tommy Haas is uh, in the twilight of his career and had an amazing year. But Leighton Hewitt... Oh, um, I mean, he lost to Dustin Brown at Wimbledon to a to a qualifier, um, and yet he 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 beat you know um, Del Potro at the U.S. Open. I mean, have either of those guys got any left, or is it just the twilight of their career? Is it just the the big stage? And not I think I think for Leighton Hewitt, it, it's it's the big stage. I mean, I remember watching that match, and um, you know, he took the first set, and I thought, mm, okay, all right, four sets then. And then you know, and it just it just was a bit of a dream run for him. Um, and then he had a really good uh, run at the Davis Cup too. Mm. Um, and he should have beaten Yuzhny, shouldn't he? Really? I mean, he served. I think he um, in the fourth yeah, and the fifth yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, he had. He had just had to serve out. Yeah. Um, I I do believe he's in the twilight of his career, but he's just one of these people that never gives up, and you can never write him off because if if he's if he's fit on his day. And he's feeling puckish enough to to give you a hard time. He's going to drag you out for five sets, um, and make you feel every single one of those baseline rallies, for sure. Speaking of fit on their day, and no, I'm not going back to talking about Eugenie Bouchard. Um, so, so Rafa Nadal. Um, there was a little while. There was a you know the other year, like two years ago, Djokovic looked unbeatable. At the moment, is Rafa Nadal unbeatable if he's not injured? Yeah, I've got to say. I mean, I. I thought it was a bit of a dream come true when he made his first final on his first match back, and I thought, okay, well, let's see how long. You know, you're on clay and, and he, you're comfortable. He lost to a low, but he didn't. And he lost. Well, yeah, well. but yeah. So I thought, okay, well, we'll see. And you know, he he's just been um, supreme. Um, you know, it it's it's hard for me to see him not snaring the the number one ranking by the end of the year. And he, and he's done a lot this year, despite he. I mean, he's only just got back up to the number two ranking, hasn't he? So for yeah. a lot of this year, despite being you know the reigning champion at Roland Garros, he was coming in on seeded. Uh, he was being seeded below Murray, below his countryman Ferrer, which led to think draws like at the Roland Garros, where he essentially, without being mean to Ferrer, no. that semi final against Djokovic was a de facto final. Agree. And I mean, at the moment, how much does the draw affect who's going to win? So. We saw this time Nadal didn't have to play Federer. He didn't have to play Andy Murray. Djokovic admittedly didn't have to play well, them either, but he had to play that five set against Wawrinka. How much does that, you know, if that had been the other way around, if it had been Nadal having a five set epic semi while Djokovic had a straight sets win, could we have seen another result? Does the draw play that big of an impact? Um, well, I think he was lucky not to meet, because weren't we, weren't we odds on for a Federal quarterfinal? Mm. Um, so I think he was lucky not to have. Federer, um, and I think that would have been an interesting, an interesting encounter, because you know, Federer and Nadal over three sets, and Federer and Nadal over five sets is, is, are two very different beasts. Well, I, th- I think um, after Djokovic won that Aussie Open a couple of years ago, where he beat Murray in five sets, and then came back somehow to beat Nadal in five sets of the two two longest, most epic matches I've ever seen, let alone back to back. I think we got a feeling that Djokovic was some kind of superman. Yeah, but he was at the he Djokovic. 
I don't think, from what I've seen of him this year, he has anywhere near that kind of fitness level. That, that His fitness seems to have fallen off a little bit for me. Um, and also, I think his confidence a little bit has fallen off. Um, you know, just watching him at Roland Garros at that, at, on that semi-final, you know, not being funny, I could smash better than he could. <laughs> Seriously, some of those overheads were just like, dude, you really need to go back and learn how to do an overhead properly because that was shocking. Um, you know, and I think a lot of his, uh, and Roland Garros was slightly different because obviously um, Yelena Jencic had died and it affected him quite a lot. You know, it affected him enough not to come into press on uh, after one of his victories when he found out that his first coach had died. And I think, you know, it was it was a tough slam for him. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you, well, you were on the hill at the time and I was sat watching my nice big widescreen television in Rosington Mansions, but... Do you remember in that mat in that final game where he come back from um, Love Forty down to Juice, um, even game point I think against Murray in that game, and he had a he had an almost not a smirk because I like him and I don't think he I don't I, I don't think he smirks, but he had that kind of knowing smile that he knew that if he took that game Murray would be really climbing up Everest in slippers to try and win, <laughs> to, to try and win that match. Um, you know, and I, and and that was the first time that I'd ever seen I'd, I'd seen that kind of confidence come back to him. I think it, for whatever reason, I think his confidence has taken a bit of a knock, um, and I I think he knows that he's not going to finish the. If I'm being honest, I don't. I think he knows he's not going to finish the year as number one. More bold predictions from Rosie. Well, I think the confidence not only I mean it doesn't only it has an effect on his mental um, strength as well. I mean, you said about him being physically exhausted. After that Warinka match, he came through that, and against Nadal, he just looked like the confidence, the the mental exertion. I mean, he won a fifty-three shot rally against <laughs> Nadal to break him, um, and lead in that set. But instead of pushing on from there, he then got Took broken the very, very yeah. easily by by Nadal the very next game. Now, um, he still went on to win that set, and he did make a fight, but he was a break up in the next set. But and I know he's playing against Nadal, but you know the Djokovic before you wouldn't. You, 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 it almost looked like you know that point mentally, physically, it did exhaust him. And he's not, he's not, he's not Superman. And if you know, if you've got a fit, if you've got a fit Nadal, who does, he doesn't mean need much help as it is. Let alone, <laughs> let alone he's come off a, an easy win over good old Richard Gasquet, and you've just played Stan the man who's in the form of his life. Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough. So what we're saying is the draw plays a lot, has a lot to do with it, but you think you think Nadal's back to being the man as long as he can stay fit? I think um, if you'd asked me that at the beginning when he came back on clay, I would have probably rolled my eyes and said, oh, please. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it's hard to argue. You've just got to look at his achievements. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not the hugest Nadal fan of, of, of his game, but it's hard not to be impressed with his, with his comeback. It really... You know, you'd have to be really heartless. Um, and it's interesting to, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it puts an interesting slant on why, on, 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 you know, let's look at why Murray's taken this time off now to, to sort out his back. Because he knows he's going to have to come back better than ever before. Yeah. And let's face it, he's pretty damn good now, for crying out loud. You know, he's he's really become, a, you know, let's go back to this discussion with um, Chunky Monkey, Chorich, and, and, and what Andy was like at that age. You know, the completely different body shape, completely different mentality. But I think he realises that if he's going to have to compete with the best, 
next year for the slams which let's face it that's what his focus is going to be now mm. um then you know he's going to have to come back and be at the very top of his game um so yeah take the time out drop your ranking a little bit he'll have his protective ranking anyway and then come back to really really um really really sort of contend but yeah i wonder how many people are actually hoping oh my god you know let's hope that your knee plays up again okay so last takeaway from uh from the us open you saw a lot more players suddenly utilising net play in the US Open, probably more than they do at Wimbledon now, because I think the US Open is a faster court than the grass courts are these days, um, much to Tim Hammond's chagrin. Um, but Djokovic was doing it, Wawrinka was doing it, Federer was doing it, Murray was doing it. Is, 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 a, is net play back to being a staple of the game these days, or is it just, just on courts like that? Um... Interesting. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I have to do when I write previews is like dig out people's playing styles, and it's quite interesting to see how many people are, are you know are now beginning to mix up their their game a lot and try and be a lot more all court all court aggressive. Um, do I think that a little bit of serving and volleying and chipping and charging is um is is a miss? No, I think it, I think it adds to the game. What I think what I think I'd hate to see is a return back to just heavy serving, you know, serve maybe a volley serve maybe a chip serve maybe a charge and then you know back back to those kind of Roddick Rosetsky days where it's just big servers and nothing else and I, I think they need to strike that balance with the speed of the court the speed of the ball um the size of the rackets the makeup <laughs> of the rackets you know you name it you know and who you're playing against and who the, you're playing because after all those names I mentioned the person who didn't come to the net very much was, was, Nadal. was, was Nadal who won it um, but I mean, and it's stupid because he can. He's perfectly capable of doing it. Well, they all can. I mean, I mean, we've seen Murray. We saw him that um, first match against Lodra was yeah, amazing. And we saw him at the Davis Cup doubles, and we saw him with the doubles in Colin Fleming in um, Montreal. Mm -hmm. You know, if he wants to play doubles, he's a top ten, if not top five, doubles player in the world. But the problem is, he can beat he can beat everybody from Djokovic and Nadal downwards without serve vo without volume. Yeah. Um, and if he does try and volley against those guys, um, then it's probably a 50-50 chance at best that he, he, he wins that winner. point. He'd much rather um, play 30 drop shots in a game, dumping 29 of them into the net. And, and listening, <laughs> listening to the roar of anguish from like fans watching <laughs> yeah, on screens. And like, win one rather than... Uh... Stop doing that, Andy! Okay, so let's take a brief look at the doubles game because um, doubles game, it's it's... It has varying popularity. A lot of true tennis fans love the doubles game, especially if they get to watch it. Um, that Johnny Murray, Colin Fleming, Brian Brothers game at US Open was one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen, doubles or singles. Um, what are the chances of any of the Brits making it to the ATP Tour World Finals? Um, at the moment, I think probably Fleming and Murray are the ones that are the closest, closest to it. Um, and I, I think it would be really good. I mean, obviously, Johnny Murray played there last year for we sat there and we watched them last year um, with Freddie Nielsen with Freddie Nielsen um, but I mean they got there basically off almost the exclusively off winning Wimbledon they yeah. had almost no other points the rest of the year um, but don't don't discount the fact that that experience will have, will have will have you know done them well and I mean the run that the double the, the, the British doubles guys had at the US Open was probably the best run I think well, ever all, all, what, so all, all, all to the quarterfinals all three doubles teams made it to the quarterfinals which I mean obviously by default that means they outrank all apart from um, five of their opponents so if we look at it here we've got 
Um, Britain's Dom Inglot and Trett Huey are in 14th place. Jamie Murray and John Pierce are in 16th place. And Flemery, Colin Fleming and Johnny Murray are in 18th place. Although realistically, they're only separated all of them by by, by about by less by about 100, 130 points. But it is only the top eight that go in. Yeah. And I guess the problem is if you compete at a doubles tournament without your regular partner, you yep. don't get any points towards this. Your your personal no. points don't count. It's only when you play together as a doubles. We've all the Brian brothers are wiping the floor with everybody. Um, <laughs> Suarez and Payer Payer are brilliant. Granolas and Lopez are pretty much in. That doesn't leave a whole lot of scope for the others. And you look down this list. And they're and all were, very good. There were some amazing teams in there. So it's going to be a big ask. Realistically, they realistically they need a one of those teams needs a needs a fight a Masters final. Or but the trouble to... the trouble with the the trouble is um, the Masters will will attract um, the singles players. The first I I found this out um, fairly recently. If you if you look at the Masters where it's the first change of surface, that's where you got all the singles players coming in. And then the next one, you'll probably see a lot less. So, um, you know, really, they're going to have to go hell-bent for leather in, in the, the, I think there's two Masters that are remaining. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it would be it would be great if, if they could do it. Um, but I think it gives them a good, uh, a good solid foundation for next year if the partnerships stay the oh, same well, that's now. The, that's the big question, isn't it? So, I mean, for the first time in a while, so let's start with... With Jamie Murray, we know him as being Andy's older brother. Um, he won Wimbledon with Jankovic all those years ago. He had a great partnership with Eric Boutirac as part of Stretch and Booty, and has been searching for a consistent partner basically ever since. He started off the year trying to play with Colin Fleming in Ross Hutchinson's absence. That failed after about two tournaments, and he's now with John Pierce, who I admit I hadn't heard of before this year. Um, but they seem to have settled down and done really, really well. As we mentioned, they've won an ATP tournament beating the Bryan brothers in the final. The downside to those guys is, is that they will beat the Bryan brothers one day and, and then they lose. will lose to... I mean, they will lose to not nobodies, but they will lose to, you know... They'll lose in the next round. I mean... Yeah, but that's... The na- I mean, I asked them this question and, and, and that's that's the nature of, of, of doubles. You know, when you when you go on to the next tournament, it's a, bra- it's a brand new thing and there's all kinds of, you know, things that you've got to bear in mind. Travelling from one place to the other... Etc. Etc. Is your is that your laptop breathing? Yes. Okay. Um. So <laughs> it's, it's my deep breathing. Um. So you know, but I think what's done Jamie really well this year is being the elder statesman of the of the pair. John's like a a, a really enthusiastic, bouncy little little guy. I mean, they, they they are a really good pairing together to watch. So the energy that they've got is brilliant. Um. And it's really nice to see Jamie sort of settle with a with a with a partner um you know and and i chatted to louis cayenne he 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 seems to think that this is going to be a good long-term thing and it really does seem to be working quite well you know they they, they've got as i said they've got great energy together um they do suit each other and And they've got some really good results not do them a disservice they lost in the first round of seeds this week to Klaassen and brunstrom who are unseeded but a brilliant pair and they went on to win the tournament exactly well that's the second time they've lost to the people that have gone on to win the tournament so they won against the the Bryan brothers but they lost against the eventual winners of the tournament and you know it's probably cold comfort but at least they haven't lost to you know just like two randoms that just happen to meet up and think oh yeah well we'll just have a little bit of a knockabout you know um but I, I I'm I'm 
comforted by the fact that you know th this pairing has has gone on through the year and hopefully they'll have a good run i mean it'll be the first time that Jane, uh, that john Piers has gone back home for a bit um so hopefully being back in australia will be uh, a really good kick for him um and yeah you know we'll we'll, we'll see how they go but yeah I'm, I'm i've got if they stay if they stay together next year i think they'll they'll rise i mean this is this is jamie's best run for a long time definitely and you've got you've got dom i mean the doubles players that's just the strength and depth we have at doubles is amazing dom inglot who plays with his filipino partner uh trek huey aka bomb trek the two of them are called <laughs> they also made the u.s open quarters i mean they're the they're the higher ranked doubles team at the moment um you've got um jamie delgado and ken skupski who who played together for quite a while and then 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 split this year to go um a separate ways ken was having a child Del jamie was well i think it's probably ken's wife that was injury. having a child oh well yeah okay otherwise um, i have the rights to that book <laughs> and they both searched around for their partners for a while but now but now ken skupski has, has started forming a partnership with his with his little brother neil um who's come through the ranks phenomenally this year um He's gone from outside the top thousand, unranked outside the top thousand in doubles, to being inside the top one fifty. Um, and I, I looked at their record um, on the way over here. Um, together, those two this year are th thirty and four. Yeah. Thirty wins, four losses, eight and zero in the futures tournaments, having won the two tournaments. Twenty two and four in challenger tournaments, having won four tournaments. So I mean. Those two should be back on main main stage ATP tour events pretty soon. Um, um, and then lastly, you have Flemery, Colin Fleming, and Johnny Murray. Um, probably they're the two higher ranked individuals. Yeah. Um, but they're ironically third in the race. Well, yeah, I think because third place Brits in the race. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I think they they have played few few of the smaller tournaments together. Colin Fleming. Well, Colin Fleming has won a couple of tournaments. I mean, he did. He got to the Montreal Open um, final with Andy. With Andy, he um, he won a tournament right at the beginning of the year with uh, Bruno's. Um, Bruno. With Sorry. Bruno was it Bruno or, or Rohan Bapana? One of the. He's, he's won a couple of tournaments this year, not necessarily with with Johnny. Um, and in fact, they have got to a final. But Johnny still hasn't won a tournament other than he still hasn't won a World Tour tournament other than Wimbledon. Right. Um, so those two are just gonna have to get over that last little, that last hump of winning those those finals, um, and they'll be right up there. Um, but we we're just doing so well in doubles team, and you you mentioned the reason why a second ago. Yeah, I mean the doubles coach. Yeah, Louis Kai is he's a he's a legend. I mean, um, <laughs> I remember doing a, an interview with the guys and just thought oh, I'll just ask for a couple of quotes from him, and we just sat and chatted for about an hour. Um, because he's he's his passion for the game and his passion to bring out the best in coaching um, and not just the doubles players I mean um, Kaya's helping out um, Elena Baltasha now that she's come back you know and uh, you know he's 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 just so inspiring and, and, and a genuinely nice guy as well and he was brought in to you know when he was when he was brought in we had no players in the top 100 and he, his remit I think was to bring one player into the top 100 and he's got like pretty much all of them in there. And when Andy does actually turn out and play, he 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 gets up into that ranking. Andy Murray isn't just <laughs> Andy Murray is 99th ranked best know, doubles player this year. I know, year. and that's just having off the back of Blanc. Two, uh, having played four tournaments, yeah, um, all year. I know. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's great that there's there's strength and depth in in the doubles because I think it 
it broadens the interest of tennis. I mean, when you you know this, when you when you start playing tennis at, at a club where where people that have now seen Murray's success and trot along to their their local club, you know, they're not going to be playing singles. They're going to be playing doubles and rotating doubles and you know learning about that game. And that, that's how everybody starts. So you know, it's it. I think I think it's great that we've got that strength and depth, and you're seeing it in the in the women's side as well. Maybe not to such an extent. But you know all the all the women, you know, Laura, um, Heather, they'll all play doubles on 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 the sort of main tour as well. Uh, maybe not so much towards the end of the the year now, but certainly um, certainly at the beginning of the year uh, when we started things off on Britwatch, they were they were singles and doubles all over the place. So you know, I think I th- I think British tennis is in a in a a good way. It'll be interesting to see what the new CEO of uh, the LTA does now. Well, it doesn't need to do any, does he? Just let Leon Smith and. Uh... Yeah. And yeah, just give them free reign, yeah. Cool. All right, well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end. What have you got going on for the rest of this this week, Was? Uh, back on uh, Live Tennis Duty, there's uh, there's Tokyo, obviously. There's um, Bangkok. There's um, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, and then, obviously, next week's the real big week. There's um, Beijing. So that's a combined uh, men and women, and that's where you've got the the real big guns as well. So it's almost like the it, was almost, it feels almost like the tennis season is starting again, after we've had a couple of like lean, <laughs> lean weeks of St Petersburg and so Mets. A, so Andy won't be playing, but that's no reason not to. That's no reason not, not to to, not to watch. Um, well, I mean, Judy Murray was on Loose Women today, and she's saying that he should he should be going home um, today. Actually, he should have come home today. So uh, he's got a ready-made excuse not to walk the dogs. Is this where you get all your hard-hitting journal information from, from watching Loose Women? Yeah, pretty much. It's still not an excuse to watch it. No, I realise that. I realised that after watching an interview with Warwick Davis and realised that, you know, that was quite the low point of my afternoon. Warwick, I, the name rings a bell. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking Willow. Yes, that's right. Oh, God. And somebody out of, and something out of, in various roles out of, um, out of Harry Potter films. I think I think I think we've uh, we've exhausted tennis topics. If we're talking about loose Willow. women, the TV program, um, Willow and Harry Potter, um, I think I think we've come to the end. Are you finished? I'm pretty done. Cool. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, tennis fans. Um, keep following. Uh, tennis season isn't done just because Annie Murray's out. Um, have a look at the uh, the women playing next week and the uh, all the all the doubles action. Um, and we hopefully see you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye.